So today we are jumping in uh, back into this account in John chapter uh, 7, where Jesus is at the Feast of Booths. And uh, at first, I was just going to take a little chunk of this passage, but then I was like, really, to get the context of what Jesus is doing and saying here and John's commentary about it, we need to look at a larger uh, piece of Scripture today. And so we're going to read that. We're going to read over this larger piece of Scripture, and then we're going to go back and pull out some of the the high points out of it. Um, But we're in John chapter 7, and uh, I'm starting um, in verse 25. So some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him, and they said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowds muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. And you will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me. And where, where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, as I said, that's a longer piece of Scripture, and we're not going to fully dissect every bit of it as we do when we we go after smaller pieces of Scripture. Um, But I I want us to go ahead and hit some of the highlights here and pull out the overall message of what's trying to be conveyed to us here, of the importance of what we see here. There's some major theological principles that are in this verse right here, in this passage. I don't know if you noticed But right here in this passage with Jesus and John telling us about Jesus and explaining things that Jesus said, he fully covers the Trinity. We see all three persons of the Trinity in this one passage and what their jobs are, what their roles are, what they're doing. It's, it's, a, it's really cool uh, when we get to see those, those things together, how the three persons of the Trinity work together. Now, with me just saying what I just said, half of you just went, Trinity what? 
isn't that a church in Kelowna? Um, we, we came to Potter's house. Why are you talking about Trinity? Um, so the Trinity is, is Christian teaching on the Godhead. We believe that there is one God, but that one God eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see all three of those in this one passage working together as the Godhead. And so that's what I mean when I say the Trinity. Um, and the, the passage starts off here with basically the same arguments that we've just seen, and they're arguing over where Jesus came from and who his authority is and all this kind of stuff. Um, we, we were in that last week. They just keep their same arguments going. Um, they got into this whole thing about not knowing where the Christ would come from, and, uh, and they're like, but we know where Jesus came from. He's from Nazareth, so he can't be the Christ. Um, and Jesus is saying, yeah, you know where I come from, but you don't really know where I come from. You know I came from Nazareth as a man, but you don't know that I ultimately came from heaven as the second person of the Trinity to come to pay the price for your sins, to redeem you, and to be on this mission that God has put me on, the Father has put me on, because the Father has a plan. And the important thing in this first little section that I want us to pull out, it comes in verse 30, where it says this, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. John's making a major theological point here in this little section. Because his hour had not yet come. He doesn't say they weren't able to arrest him because Jesus was very evasive. They weren't able to arrest him because his disciples formed a posse around him and they were his bodyguards and protected him from those trying to arrest him. No, the reason they were not able to arrest him was because his hour had not yet come. What What does John mean by that? He means that God the Father has a plan. He had a plan for Jesus' life. That plan was ultimately for Jesus to be arrested. That plan was ultimately for Jesus to die on a cross. That plan was ultimately for Jesus to pay that price for sin on the cross, a price that he did not owe because he was sinless. But so that the part of God's plan where he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and death was all part of God's plan. And every single bit of it happened at exactly the right moment, is what John is saying here. He's saying, look, earlier in his ministry, they were coming after Jesus, but if you think his whole arrest and persecution, death, all of that was ultimately just at the hands of men at their own whim, you're wrong, because they were trying long before they were successful. But it did not happen until the, the moment where God the Father, who orchestrates everything, who controls everything in his hand, said, this is the moment. This is when it's supposed to happen. We had a a debate in a a Bible study group that I was in in college. Uh, We were looking at the Christmas story, and we were debating, and you guys can weigh in on this debate with me today. Um, We were debating if Herod had been successful in killing baby Jesus, you know, when after the wise men come, Herod orders that all the baby boys under two years old in this area are killed, but the angel had warned Joseph, and so they fled to Egypt, and so Jesus was safe. That whole story, okay? But if 
Joseph had not fled with Jesus, and Herod had been successful in killing Jesus at that point. Would that death of Jesus been sufficient to offer salvation for my sins? Hmm. 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 It was actually at my church, but it was mostly Bible college kids that were in the, in the group that were studying. These are the things we, we do, you know. These are my university years. Um, and so, so what do you say? You say, yes, a death of a baby Jesus would have been sufficient to, to save us, or no, it would not. Who's in the yay group? Okay. Very few. All right, who's in the, in the nay group? Okay, more of you are in the nay group. Who's in the I have no clue what you're talking about group? All right, a couple of you. All right, awesome. Um, well, I, I personally would, would explain it this way. I would say I'm in the yay group. I think, yes, as a baby, Jesus was the Son of God. He was sinless at that point, and so his death would have been sufficient to cover my sin. But the problem would have been, there would have been no gospel teaching up until that point. No one would have found out about it. Nobody would know, and it wouldn't have gone down through all of time, and I would not be saved because I would not have heard about it. And so that's why I think, even though, yeah, maybe it could have worked a different way, the way that it worked was the perfect way according to God's plan. That God orchestrated it all perfectly and in his time. And we see what John is making the point here, and this is a major theological truth that I want you to get, is that all things, especially the rest and death of Jesus, happen according to God's plan. All things happen according to God's plan. Now, we all know that we as a global society, we were coming out of a crazy season. Hopefully, we're coming out of a crazy season of all this COVID stuff and all of the um, pandemic and virus and all of that. And um, I want to just say that this is a virus. It is real. Um, and anyone who tells you otherwise, like, I'm sorry, but my grandmother's in the hospital right now with it. Um, battling for her life. She's 91 years old and um, got to, to talk with her briefly on, the, on a video chat yesterday. Another family member was in and they just held the phone up, but she's not doing well. And so, so yeah, I don't maybe have as much grace for those that are dismissing this thing right now. Um, so I apologize for that. And my personal view is that I believe some of the smartest scientific minds we have in the world today all rallied around this problem and came up with the best solution that they could uh, with the vaccines. Um, that is my personal view. I know that the whole vaccine thing is a contentious topic where people have many different opinions. And my point is not to wade into that debate, although apparently I am right now. Um, <laughs> And, and so, my point is not, I think we can all respect each other and have different views on this, okay? That, that's what I want to say about that. Um, 
But the point I do want to make right now about this is that if your hope and and assurance for your life is based on either taking or not taking a vaccine, then you will be disappointed. You see, a vaccine does not have ultimate authority. God does. If God says that it's your time, then it's your time. This has been Christians' view throughout time, since the day of Christ. To live or to die, it's in God's hands. If he chooses for for me to live longer than to him be the glory, let me proclaim Christ. If he chooses to take me home today, then to him be the glory. I get to come and be in his presence and be with Jesus. And this has been Christian's view throughout time. Our our approach to life is not uh, just to try to prolong life for ourselves. Now, I'm not saying be stupid. Like, you know, like, yeah, let's not start juggling chainsaws or something for fun. Like, like let's let's be smart with our lives. Let's 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 be wise. But the the fact is for each and every one of us, God holds our lives in his hand. And he knows the exact number of our days. And and so whether that be covid, cancer, car wreck, whatever it is that ultimately ends this life, or whether we're we're some of the few that he's chosen to get to live until Jesus returns. Whatever it is, it's out of our control. That is something that's in his hand, and we get to trust him with that. We get to have peace in that. We get to have assurance in that he's got this taken care of. John Calvin, hundreds of years ago, before they had the kind of medicine and healthcare and all that we have today, he wrote this about this passage. For we have no reason to be alarmed when we learn that Christ was dragged to death, not through the caprice of men, but because he was destined for such a sacrifice by the decree of the Father. And hence, we ought to infer a general doctrine. For though we live from day to day, still the time of every man's death has been fixed by God. It is difficult to believe that while we are subject to so many accidents, exposed to so many open and concealed attacks, both from men and beasts, Apparently, they had a lot more beast attacks in his day than we do today. And liable to so many diseases, we are safe from all risk until God is pleased to call us away. We're safe in the hands of a loving God until it's his choice and his will to say, it is your time. Now, I want to say this with all sensitivity, because as I, I was praying before, we have many in our church family who are really wrestling with death right now. 
And I don't say this to be insensitive to that. But what I, I say this to say that for the Christian, for the Christian who has their hope and their faith in Jesus Christ, there's great solace in the fact of just knowing that God's got this in his hand. And even if my loved one who knew Jesus is called home to be with Jesus, then there is great peace in that. There's great assurance in that. That while we, we will mourn here because we are sad, we miss them, we can rejoice that they are better off in the presence of their Lord and Savior. And so, there's great solace there. But where this really becomes difficult is when we're dealing with someone who doesn't have faith in Jesus, who doesn't have the hope of salvation. Because Jesus says right here in this passage that where he was going, where was he going? Where did he go after he rose from the dead? He ascended into heaven. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so he even says here in this passage, he says in verse 33, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer than I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. So Jesus is looking at these people who don't have faith in him, who don't believe him, who are are trying to arrest him, who are his literal enemies here on earth, which is what without faith in Christ all of us are, is that we are the enemies of Christ. And he's looking at them and he's saying, where I'm going, you can't find me. Why can they not find him? Because they don't have access. The only way that there's access in to heaven, into where Jesus is, is through the blood of Jesus, through faith in him, through belief in what he did on the cross. And he's saying here, he's like, hey, there's some of you who you're going to try to seek me, but you won't find me. And so the people are left here asking like, where is he going? Where, where, where does this guy think he can go where we can't find him? Right? Like, He's going to be playing some kind of big game of hide and seek? Hide and seek is a very popular game in my house right now, okay? Um, And on our trip, uh, you guys are going to get tired of hearing me telling stories about our trip, but that's why you send a pastor away for a month and a half, so he's got new material. Um, But yeah, on our trip, uh, we we were, were stopping at which I thought, I was asking this morning, I was surprised what Rowan said, because with Piro there, I was like, hey, Rowan, what was your favorite restaurant on our trip? And he actually said Cracker Barrel, Brittany. Yeah, surprisingly, because Brittany and I both would have thought he said Sonic. Now, if you've never been to a Sonic, uh, a Sonic is a drive-in, uh, and uh, I was told that there might be one in Langley, even, but um, it's a drive-in that basically what they have done is they have mastered the ability to put as much sugar content into liquid form as possible in as many different ways as possible. So think of like any kind of like sweet drink that you could think of and then multiply that by probably about 100 and that's how many options you have at this place of different flavors and everything that you can get. Um, Yeah, so it's like diabetes in a cup. Um, 
But yeah, this place is awesome. And so, uh, so there's actually one of our first stops was a Sonic on the way and really loved it. Uh, but our kids were so happy to get out of the RV because like I said, it's a drive-in. They don't really have room for an RV in the drive-in slot. So we had to park in the next parking lot and then they have a little area out front. <coughs> Excuse me where uh, they, you can order and then there's a few picnic tables, but you can't like eat inside or anything. So anyway, we're out in this area out front and it's, I mean, it's literally like the size of this stage and all there are is a few picnic tables. But my kids were so excited to be out of the RV that they decided that they had to play hide and go seek um, on the little just sidewalk area with picnic tables. Um, and so that's what they're doing while we're waiting on our food is they're just running around playing hide and go seek, um, hiding. Okay, this one hides behind the picnic table and then this one hides behind the picnic table. Um, and so that's what these people with Jesus are like. Where do you think you're going to hide? You got some good hiding skills, buddy? Like, where are you going to go that we can't find you? But what they're missing is the point of where, where he says he's going. He is going to sit at the right hand of the Father where he sits on his throne, where he is in control, where he is sovereign. I'm okay right now. Thanks, though. Um, and, uh, and he is sitting there, and that's what he's doing. Where the Father who has everything in his hand, who has everything under his plan, the Son is sitting beside him, reigning in all sovereignty. And that's where Jesus has ascended to after he accomplished his mission here on earth of dying on the cross for us. And you see, the truth is that those who are against Jesus have no access to where he is. They don't have access to him. To die without Christ is to die a hopeless death. But there is good news because Jesus didn't leave it there and John doesn't leave it there. And this is why I covered such a big passage today is so that we can get the full picture where Jesus says this in the last day of the feast, the great, um, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone, anyone, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Yeah, that's right, Ava. You tell him. Because the thing is, if anyone thirsts, they can come to Jesus. What's he talking about here? I don't know about you guys, but I've been thirsty lately. Dave was just graciously offering me some water right now because I was choking up here. But I've been thirsty lately. One, between the heat and the complete lack of any moisture in our air whatsoever. Um, And the smoke. Uh, It's just like, anybody else with me? Just been like down in water lately? Yeah, um, for sure. And so Jesus is painting this picture here, and he's telling them, hey, if you thirst, he's not just talking about needing some water, but he's saying, if your soul is thirsting for me, if your soul is thirsting for eternal life, if if your soul is thirsting to be made right with God, 
then come to me. Come to me and drink. And for the Christian that has experienced that, we say amen. We come to him and our soul is nourished. Our thirst is quenched. He meets us where we are and he provides for us. He gives us what we need. It's not that we no longer have pain. It's not that we no longer have sorrow. It's not that we no longer go through hard things, but we have the nourishment and the the goodness to be able to drink from him to make it through it. And I know as I say that, many in here are going through hard things right now, and I just want to encourage you, drink from Jesus. In your struggle, don't try to do it on your own, but go to Jesus and let him soothe your soul. Let him quench that thirst that you have. And then John really, I love this commentary that John puts on what Jesus said. Now, he said this about the Spirit. This is the third person of the Trinity we were talking about earlier. And this is how we know that we have come to Jesus and we have drank. This is how we can know that we have hope for eternity after this life. It's by the fact that we have the Spirit now. The fact that, that His Spirit has come into our life, and that Spirit is literally like a river flowing from us. That He works through us, that He comes into our hearts, into our souls, and He flows through us to do things that we cannot do on our own. And so, according to Scripture, if you want to know that you have hope for eternity, the way that you know that is, do you have the Spirit working through you now? Have you experienced the Spirit at work in your life? Because, see, this is the way that it works. The Father has the divine plan, which is what's going to happen. He knows the number of your days. The Son carried out a major part of that plan by dying on the cross at exactly the right moment. Not only did He die on the cross as a sinless sacrifice, but He proved it by rising from the dead, something that He promises that He can do for us, that just as He defeated death, He offers that same defeat for us. And He does all that so that we can believe in Him and receive life through the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you, have you received that life? Is it flowing through you? If it is, is there anything in your life where maybe the river's flowing, but maybe you're, you've got some sin where you're stopping it up a little bit, where you're maybe hindering the Spirit from working the way that He'd want to? I don't know. Maybe there's a check for you in that today. But you make your own application. My question for you today is, do you thirst? Because Jesus is the answer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do have a plan. And that you have executed that plan so beautifully. Jesus... We thank you that you came and you did exactly what you were supposed to do at exactly the right time in all of human history to accomplish what was needed so that we could be saved. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming and flowing through us, for bringing life that we might truly live. 
God, I pray for anyone here who, who might not know you and might not have fully believed in Jesus yet. Lord, I pray that today, this day, that they might place their faith in you. They might receive your Holy Spirit and it might flow freely through them. Lord, we lift all this up before you and we set it at your feet. We thank you for all the blessings that you bring and all the good things that you do. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.